Balotelli. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Gavin keeps it. Skin off goal. Look at that pass. Haydock! Goal! Columbus! There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's tonight again. And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! This is the beautiful game. Oh, it's incredible! Described by two uglies. Stupendous! Welcome to Bone and Beam United. This is a thing of genius. Welcome in. Happy Soccer Podcast Day. I'm Bone. And I'm Beam. And we've got a bunch to get to today, Beamer. Yeah. As we uh, continue our streak of podcasting three weeks in a row now. Break them up. Bone and Beam United. They're just, they're on fire right now. Really are. Three weeks in a row. They're really, I think it's the new manager. The new management that's come in, set the tone ever since the takeover. I think they've just gotten so much better. You know, we were so lackadaisical, (laughs) not focusing on what do we need to do. Yeah. New management comes in, new leadership. It's kind of spurred us in the right direction. Ever since they opened the Tegna training grounds, I've been much more motivated to get out there and really work on my game. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team who suddenly look like a thing again, so that's nice. Thing or not a thing. Oh, that, that's not our show, but we can definitely do it. Uh, the crew sent one of the best defenders, at least for an MLS team last year, away. Was that the right move? We'll get into that. And we have to talk about the Chicago Fire logo, which is complete ass, and it is ass. That is that is all coming up. Yeah. The ass segment, mm-hmm. if you will, of Chicago Fire logo. Which is always good on a soccer podcast when we talk about logos because it's a thing you see and this is not something where you can see it because it's a podcast, but I don't care. We're talking about it anyway. I will describe it to you in full feature. I will describe the logo to you in full gambit later on. Um, Now, we are going to start off with the biggest news, I think, in the soccer world, which is that uh, Mauricio Ponsatino is gone at Tottenham Hotspur. He's out. But before we get to that, I do want to bring this up. We have been kicking around the idea of a soccer viewing party, Mm -hmm. and we are looking to do something like that in January or February. Yes. So I don't have a a date for you. I don't have a location for you. We don't even know what games we're going to watch. But Beam and I's idea is mostly to get the people who listen to this show. I mean, we have like 900-something followers on Twitter. We should have like a few people that would want to come out and hang out. At least four to come hang out with us. Maybe five. So the thought is, let's all get together on a Saturday, and no disrespect to any of the different places where there are gathered, assembled people, we don't want to take away from what you're doing. But we just kind of want to have, for everyone else who isn't maybe like a Liverpool supporter or isn't necessarily a Spurs supporter, you have little you know viewing parties for those teams. Those already exist. We were thinking, let's just have everybody else can just get together, watch soccer, drink beer. So we're going to find a neutral location. Hopefully, well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we're going to do that. Keep a little place marker for January, February, some weekend is kind of what we're thinking. Right? Yeah, we've already we kind of looked at the fixture list and we kind of have a couple of days in mind. So it's either going to be in late January or early February yeah. when we're going to do it. And then we're going to think about, you know, obviously where it's going to be. It's not going to be out in your neck of the woods, way west of town. It's probably going to be somewhere central in yes, Columbus, we'll go central where everybody can get to. And it'll be a great time. And I just hope that. You know, knock back a few beers, watch the beautiful game, and have a good time. My thought is, and feel free to tweet your suggestions to us uh, at Man and Bone or at Nope. Whoa, wrong show, Bone. Whoa. All right, <laughs> sorry. At Bone Beam United on Twitter. Yeah, and maybe tell us like a place you think would be a good spot to go. Um, but my thought is, we do like 10 a.m. 
get some of those games in. And then at noon, there will, or 1230, there'll be another game. Maybe we do like a, if you can swing at any time in that four-hour window, we'll be kind of hanging around. And by beers. the end of that four o'clock window, oh. I am going to be passed out oh. and hammered. That's exactly right. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. And again, follow Bone Beam United on Twitter if you don't already. And you will get updates on that as that occurs. All right. So let's talk about this. Ponch is out. Special one is back. How it's about that story? Really crazy. So if you listen to the radio station at all, Evil Bald Colin is a big Spurs guy. And so when it was announced that Mauricio Pochettino was going to be axed from the job, I kind of jokingly in jest said to him, because I believe what day is it? It's Thursday. It's soccer podcasting yes, day, of course. Right. And this happened on Tuesday where Mauricio Pochettino was announced that he was going to be let go from Tottenham. And I said to him, and I was like, you know who's available? Just special one, just Jose Mourinho. There. He's just doing stuff with Sky Sports and being on TV <laughs> and everything. And he looks at me and he was like, don't even joke about saying that. And I'm like, I'm I'm being serious, man. Like, you know, he's the one you'll probably find a caretaker manager until the end of the season. And then we'll see what happens. But literally less than 12 hours after they announced they fired Mauricio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho was announced as the next manager for the tot- for Tottenham. And I just got to say, I cannot wait to see Jose Mourinho's tenure at Tottenham. I am thrilled for this. I mean, thank God he's back in the Premier League. I can't wait for Spurs fans to just sit there and say, <laughs> "Boy, you know what? Maybe we have a chance." Like it's, it's great. It's great. I love it. You're going to you're going to feel that way. And then the then I already saw this on Twitter and it's such a great thought. I can't remember who posted it. I would give them credit otherwise. I did. Just give okay. credit to me. Beam tweeted this out. He yep. didn't. No, I didn't. That the good news for Spurs fans is you get to experience the joy of firing Jose Mourinho in like 18 months. <laughs> right. So you're like, maybe you not even to, 18 maybe months. Maybe not even. Yes. So that'll be a lot of fun. You get to look forward to that is the good news. Did you see his new deal? What it was worth? I didn't see what it's so worth. So it was something around, I believe, 15 million pounds per year. And they broke it down. So it's like mm. 1,700 pounds per day. Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. What so a, it's ooh. basically you're paying a top-notch player. A man, you're paying a a manager a top notch player salary mm-hmm. for a take, guy who's going to be fired in less than two years. Take a bath in that seventeen hundred dollars a day, seventeen hundred pounds. Oh, pounds! So it's so like two thousand dollars a yeah. day, just any day of the week. You just have two thousand dollars deposited in your bank account. That's Jose Mourinho, and he doesn't need the money. No, he's already got more money than he knows what to do with. Uh, so let's go back to Ponch for a second, Mauricio Pochettino, Champions League final mm-hmm. in June. Yes. Out of a job in November. How, what kind, I know the roller coaster that Tottenham fans have been on, and that obviously matters way more, and that's why this happened. But what kind of roller coaster do you think that guy has been on the last six months? Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy, right? Because when Potch came into the job, it was like, all right, we don't really know much about this guy. And then he, he established himself as one of the best managers in the Premier League. And what you have to understand is with you establishing yourself and then your club having expectations and your team having expectations. It's this wild world of soccer that we live in, in which, all right, you know, you have expectations now for your team and you have to win every single time that you go out. You know, you can afford to lose four or five games in the Premier League and make the top four, but with what Liverpool is doing and with what City did last year, you know, it's it's basically an arms race to say, like, if we're not going to keep up, then that's going to be a major problem. So Mauricio Pochettino, when he comes in, you know, Spurs were always like the plucky underdog story where they would always fall just face first, flat. And, you know, he was the kind of guy that changed that. And he's turned Harry Kane into what he's been. And he's built a really, really solid 
starting 11 for that team there. You know, obviously had to do, deal with some stuff with the new stadium and playing at Wembley for a while. But we're talking about not even five months removed from a Champions League final where you're playing against Liverpool in an all-Premier League final. And, you know, obviously Liverpool is the better team. And what happens is that, okay, we're going get to get the guys to start the year and everything, and then some of the games don't go your way, and the ball bounces the wrong way, and all of a sudden I'm out of, out of a job. And it really is crazy to think about because, you know, this guy was being talked as the next great one, like the guy who was going to be invincible and will stay at Tottenham for as long as he wants and all these different things. And Manchester United were going to go after him, and, like, he was going to basically have any job in the world that he wanted for a big-time team looking for a manager. And so – to remove yourself from that and to be where we are today, where he is out of a job and Spurs sit in 14th after going to a Champions League final, finishing top four last year, an incredible comeback against Ajax to get them to that final. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, all right, well, all that magic is gone. What do we do? And they felt what they needed to do was appoint Jose Mourinho. And it's really crazy because this seems to me, whenever this happens in coaching, I get a very fishy feel about it because – this seems premeditated. Like they seemed two weeks ago, like they knew that they were going to fire him. And you went through an entire international break of about two weeks. You didn't let him know he was still the manager, still at your training sessions and everything. And then all of a sudden on a Tuesday, before you get a big game coming up on the weekend, they're like, yeah, let's let him go. Shouldn't they have done that right as the international break hit to at least give Jose some time to get in with his guys and give him a little bit of work? Yeah, well, I wonder if they didn't try to. And I wonder if they didn't say they couldn't come. Like, you think it's an easy call to get Jose Mourinho and say, yes, let's let's do a deal? I'm sure Jose Mourinho says, yeah, you're calling me. So right. I have many requests, and this has to be done. So I bet you there was behind the scenes, however you do it, where it's okay, where his people are talking to their people and they're – working this out before they fire their manager. They don't want to fire him sure. and then go on and say, oh, yeah, we're going to do a caretaker thing for four weeks until we can get the Jose thing sorted out. And then he never decides to go, and then you've had this big egg-on-your-face moment. I bet that was why it – I bet they would have rather just called him up and said, you want the job? And he goes, yes. And they go, cool. We'll we're work it a punch. out. You get two weeks with the international break. Let's get started. Probably, I'm guessing some kind of hang-up in there maybe is what caused that. Or who knows? Maybe Tottenham? Just very dumb. Uh, by the way, Jose had a couple of just gem quotes. Oh, it's the best. He was asked about he is the best. Losing, You're gonna love him. Oh yeah, losing a Champions League final. Uh, does that hurt the mentality of the team? And is that maybe why this team is underperforming this year? He said, "Quote: I don't know. I've never lost a Champions League final." Spot on by you. I mean, Way God go. love him. Yeah. He is just the most down to earth, <laughs> loving yeah, person in the entire <laughs> very world. Very humble. He is just the best. Now he also was asked about. Um, the comments that he had when he coached at Chelsea, he was asked if he would ever take a job at Tottenham, and he said, no, I have too much respect for the Chelsea fans. Mm-hmm. And then they asked him about that exact quote, and he said, well, that was before I got sacked. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Here's this the is thing. What you, yes, this is what you need to know about Jose Mourinho. Whatever needs to be said in the moment for him to make himself feel like that's the right thing, that's what he's going – his number one priority is himself. And it always has been. It always will be. And I'm sure Spurs fans are very aware of what of Jose Mourinho is bringing to the table, as is basically the entire soccer world. But I will tell you this, is that in the first three games after Jose Mourinho 
comes in and coaches his first games for Tottenham, I will be no, I will not be shocked if they find themselves with nine points after three games. Just because the way that this works, and then spurring your players to care more because you're the new man in charge, and they don't want to lose out on their place in the team, and all that different kinds of stuffs that have political pulls within the team. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go out in their first three games and they win the three games when Jose Mourinho was appointed manager. But it really is crazy because I feel like you know any time that someone gets appointed to a new a new team you're like all right this could be the guy for a long time it's so polar opposite though with Jose Mourinho because you honestly you're like all right two years hopefully he can win a trophy how long can this team and all everybody around deal with him while he hopefully for their sake gets them to the greatness they want that's the, always the question with him is how long can everyone else deal with him how long before all the players tune him out how long until he you know is just losing it on the sidelines enough to the point that the, the fans are turning on him, everybody's turning on him. You're right. It's it's how quickly can you get in there, win a few things, and then get out before it all goes south. Yeah, and he's obviously not the person to do that because he hangs on and then gets fired basically everywhere that he goes. But, right. you know, the crazy thing is with Manchester United, and, and truly the reason why I believe that he was fired from there, obviously on-field performance is a, is a huge indicator, but you always hear the ex-Manchester United players like Ryan Giggs or Paul Scholes, like, you know, basically the club legends, talking about how he would disrespect the crest, right? Like, he doesn't understand what it means to be a Sir Alex Ferguson descendant and, like, how he doesn't have respect for the club. And I truly believe that's why it was ended at Manchester United because he would go out there and talk about him and him and him and him, and he wouldn't show respect for Manchester United. Manchester United's built differently. They're yeah. wired differently to say, like, it's all about the club first. Let's not be selfish. And that's why you see the problems going on with Paul Pogba. Like, it's the same thing. It's a little bit of an identity crisis that they're having right now. And so with Tottenham, where you basically, yeah, you've got some nice club history, but you're, no, but you're not fooled to thinking, like, you are one of the biggest draws in England, as listen, I'm not trying to disrespect Tottenham no, no, fans no. there, I but think, like the history, well taken. the history is on a different level. So I actually think that it might work out for him because they don't really have that identity of trying to protect themselves and protect the club first, as the word Jose Mourinho might just run ramp shot and just say, "All right, you know, this is what I am," and his ego can continue to grow. And that's kind of what he did in his first at Chelsea because they hadn't won anything in a long, long time. He comes in there, boom, turns it around, and then they are what they are now. And Tottenham Tottenham's growing, obviously. They just built a billion-dollar new stadium in London. They're a big club, but I'm almost thinking, like, if the opposite thing for Jose Mourinho here is like, yeah, I don't really have to respect the badge because I'm Jose Mourinho. You're Tottenham. I might be bigger than you are. Yeah, I think, I think, and I'm not, I'm not I, to put a little finer point on what you're saying, maybe you tell me if you agree with this. I think what you're kind of saying is if you go and take the job as the manager of the Yankees, you suddenly have to enforce rules like nobody can have facial hair. Correct. And there's just other things that are even above and beyond, even very historic clubs. Whereas, like, the White Sox are a historic club. Mm -hmm. They've been around forever. They've won. But they don't have quite the same uh, tradition things that you have to hang on to there. They care more about, like, if you come in and you kind of upset the apple cart, but you win... White Sox fans will love you. Sure. And, and obviously if you win with the Yankees, but you're not going to get the same opportunity to build what you want to build with the yeah. Yankees if you don't do it the Yankee way. Correct. And that's, to me, what Manchester United is, is they've got their way of doing it. Tottenham is saying, we're open to other suggestions of how to do it. Just win. And then we will get behind you more. You can't, obviously, there's certain things every club won't tolerate. But for the uh, most yes. part, 
I think you're right on Jose Mourinho. There's an interesting thing. I still think, though, it all comes down to how does he relate to the players and how often can the players take whatever Jose's dishing out and getting thrown under the bus and anything else that happens. And how often can Spurs fans sit there and see their team playing not as good of a team and them just throwing nine defenders back and saying, hey, we just want to draw. That's Mm -hmm. all we want. That's all we want. You got Harry Kane on your team. You got Della Ali, Christian Eriksen, like all these good guys. We're just going to sit back and defend this game because we need a point. So let me ask you this. Uh, on on that same thought, Spurs sit six points above relegation. They're 20 points out of first, and they're 17 out of a Champions League spot. What is a reasonable expectation for Jose Mourinho with plenty of the season left, but a big hole to get out of? Yeah, so they've played 12 games right now, and you've got 38 games. So we're at the quarter pole mark of the season is where you're at. So Jose Mourinho is going to have 75% of the season to be able to get themselves in position. I think right now, looking today, a reasonable expectation with the way that Tottenham's squad is and the players that they have of their quality on that team is a top-six battle. You are going to try and get into the top six and try to qualify for Europa League next season. That, to me, obviously there are fans out there that still think it's early on in the season. If you go on a 10-game winning streak and get 30 points right there, something like that, you know, where you can still challenge for top four. But my expectations for this team now is going to be fight for Europa League, fight for top six. Yeah, I don't think that's bad. And uh, Mauricio Pochettino, I can't imagine he'll be out of a job for very long. Do you think he stays looking around in England, or do you think he finds uh, a job elsewhere no, in I would, Europe? No, I would be surprised if he sticks around in the Premier League. I mean, you look at you know basically the big clubs, You know, they kind of all have their coaches sorted out, and that would be the crazy thing. You know, we talked about Unai Emery, the Arsenal manager, on the last oh, podcast. Where Lord. we, th- I, I think that he's going to be gone before Christmas. Manchester United with Ole, he'll have at least until the end of the year to kind of get things figured out and turned right. around. And then you look at Jurgen Klopp and Pep, and honestly, you look at the timeline. Pep doesn't stay anywhere for more than four or five years, and I don't know what year Pep's going into, what year it is. It seems like. 15. I know it's not right. been that long, but it seems like he's been there forever. Yeah, year five or year six for yeah. Pep Guardiola in Manchester City. So if it's not if it's not Arsenal, which I don't think it is because you can't go from Tottenham straight <laughs> to Arsenal. Think, you can't I, do that. I don't think you can. But. And if it's not Manchester City, then I would think that his eyes are going to be elsewhere, and I would imagine that you could possibly be looking if PSG fails this year in the Champions League, that that could be an option, and then Bayern Munich I think is a good option for him as well. So if it's not Manchester City and Pep decides not to leave, and who knows what venture he's going to go on in the next couple of years when he leaves City, but I think that Bayern and PSG are going to be your two big clubs that are really going to be after Poch this offseason. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll keep an eye on that, but obviously one of the uh... – it's not a fun story necessarily for Tottenham fans, but for the rest of us, it's been a lot of fun to watch from afar. Have fun. And have fun with all that. Have we'll a good be, time. We'll all be enjoying watching your games. We're all excited about it now. Not necessarily the play on the field, but everything that surrounds the field, right? right. That's that's kind of where they are. They're the NBA of the Premier League, where that's they're right, yes. on the field successes or whatever. That's not what we're all there for. It's for all the off-the-field stuff. That's what's going to be fun. All right, let's switch gears, talk U.S. men's national team. They defeated Cuba 4 to nothing. So that's good. That puts them into the semifinals of this, what are we calling it now? The CONCACAF Nations, Nations League, League, right? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So next June, they will play Honduras in that. And if they win that game, likely they would end up facing Mexico in a final. I only bring this up to say that would be a very meaningful win for the U.S. in the summer if they can get to that point. 2020 is going to be a really interesting year for the uh, for the U.S. men's national team because you are still going to have the U23s qualifying for the Olympics. 
So that's something that hopefully will occur, and then they will obviously go play in the Olympics. Um, but the U23s, some of those guys will be like, is Josh Sargent going to be a part of that group? Or sure. Not? You know, like, is he going to be on the senior squad? What's yeah. going to happen? What do you do with some of your, you know, really talented young players who could certainly benefit from the experience? Are you going to let them go and play in the Olympics? I don't know. Um, so, but I'm going to be curious to watch how that develops. Uh, there's a January camp in Qatar that they have that will be interesting to see who gets invited to that. Probably mostly MLS guys. It's not going to be a ton of European based players, you wouldn't think. They're also going to have a couple of what we believe to be pretty good uh, friendlies against some teams in Europe that will be good. So, so you might see like, do we know the teams yet, or that's just I don't think so. I think they've, they've said they're planning teams. on going to Europe and playing friendlies against a couple of the European teams. I so, say we play France again. Let's do that. Let's do it again. Let's see what happens. That worked out well when they played France. That looked nice, and that it mean, worked out well for France because that got them tuned up for a World Cup victory. Yeah, so right. there you go. That's exactly. Who it. would you like to see? Who would you most like to see in a friendly? Like if I give you three friendlies over the course of a summer mm. against European teams, who would you say? Because mine obviously. I think France would be very, very good. Yeah, I think that would be number one. I'd love to play Croatia. I think that oh, would be, be that fun. would be yeah. great for the U.S. And then I don't know. Give me like a give me a Germany or an England because I think England's team right now. I would be surprised if they don't really make some. I know they just made yeah. it into the semifinal, yeah. but you look at their roster up and down. And they are full of just really, really good young playmakers. So I think, I think those those would be mine. Those are definitely good measuring sticks, I think, for sure. Um, I do think that – I think it would be interesting to throw Portugal into the mix just with, you know, their talent that they always have. And, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, for the casual fans that just – if you're trying to get people interested to come back to watch the U.S. Sure. national team, if you get a friendly against – it's easy to sell some people on. Oh, hey, the U.S. national team is going to play that Cristiano Ronaldo guy. I better watch that. Like for people who play don't the watch team finals. that Cristiano Ronaldo's on. Yes, right. That's what I'm saying. Like that's they won't. They'll be like, I is that is that his pro team? Is that like it just sure. helps with reinforcing yeah. like actual soccer things? Who is this Renato people. Sanchez guy? <laughs> right. I don't yes. Know who that and then is. they get to He's find out about good. other players too. Um, Jordan Morris, by the way, good for him. He had a resurgent year this year. They won MLS Cup out in Seattle. Uh, I forget that Jordan Morris, because he has the high hairline, he has the Landon Donovan hairline, I forget how old he is. He's 25. So this is a guy that I could see him in a like a poor man's Josie Altador type of role for this team. I don't think he's going to be – right now he is a starter and he's earning his minutes and he should be playing all the time. Yeah. But when you're actually talking about this team going to win a World Cup someday down the road, I don't envision him – you know, eight years from now he'll be 33 – so you're still talking a ways before the the Cutter World Cup or the Cutter, before the U.S. World Cup, mm-hmm. the one that I think every U.S. fan would say that's where you're kind of aiming towards. He may factor at that at the very tail end of his international career. Yeah, but it's important to have guys like him. I do see him as a guy that could continue to develop enough that you actually may get more serviceable minutes out of him against higher level competition. I don't think he's going to score two goals a game like he did against Cuba, against an England or someone like that. But he does have an interesting, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's a little more physical of a player than what is typically seen in the international game. So I'm happy for him that it's working out. I hope it continues to. I was also really glad to see Josh Sargent notch a couple goals just for his own confidence. He's kind of been through the ringer of, you know, when are they going to play him? Yeah, being left off the team. I mean, that's crazy. It's good to see him actually getting back in and getting some minutes. And that's why I say 2020, big year for this team to find out, all right, this should be a year where you really get to start seeing Greg Berhalter's system, if it's going to work, yeah. well, now you should start seeing some results from that. It's a very tough system to adopt, so we'll see how the growth plays out, but curious to watch how that goes.
Um, an interesting note here, I guess I should have brought this up uh, closer to Tottenham, but the interesting note was about Harry Kane. Did you see this? ESPN FC international goal number at age 26 and four months. Okay. So okay. they're talking just about his career with England. Harry Kane, 45 games, 32 goals. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. For comparative purposes, at the same age of his career, Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was 26 and four months, 26 years old, four months, 80 games, 26 goals. Yeah. So Harry Kane's had 32. Listen, Harry Kane, for me, when he's on his day, is one of the best strikers in the world. I think you can pair him, him and Robert Lewandowski, when they are on like top top shelf – them, for me, there is no better striker in the world than those two when they're combo plattered together. And so I, I understand where they're coming from and saying, like, yes, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously at this age, he reached this potential and, you know, he's scoring goals for Portugal. The crazy thing to me about Cristiano Ronaldo is that you thought he was at the best of his game when he was at Manchester United. Like the last two years when he's just scoring basically every single game for United. He's going over to Portugal. He's he's becoming this world megastar, right? And the wild thing to me is that once Cristiano Ronaldo hit his peak, he plateaued right at his peak, and he's still doing it. And that's the crazy thing. So, like, in in comparing these two, I understand what they're saying and that he is scoring a ton and ton of goals for England on the international side. But you can't expect people to do that. With the way that, like, him and Messi, just they they rose up, they were there, and they're still there 10 years down the road in in the top, like, basically form of their lives, and they never really dip down. It's something that's going to be interesting to see because I do think that Harry Kane obviously can pass Wayne Rooney as the all-time leading England goal scorer. I think that's something that's probably in his kill zone, and he wants to knock that thing down. But to say that, you know, he's going to go on maybe to have, like, you know, just shy of the number of goals that Cristiano Ronaldo have or the likes of Lionel Messi, like that's hard for me to believe because he doesn't control the ball enough. He relies on a lot of other players to get him the ball in space where those guys are like, you know what, I'm just going to toast the defense myself. So like, that's right. why I think it's going to be difficult for Harry Kane to do that. No, it will be. And I think that comparison is, is very interesting. It is also limited to the full understanding of their careers. The other thing of that is if Harry Kane can be the type of player – Cristiano Ronaldo is now in his career. Sure. At that point in his career, then sure. Yeah, there's a chance that he's, you know, putting more goals in than we all would have expected necessarily. But I think you're right. Cristiano Ronaldo's place, as far as a soccer player, that that is not going to be threatened, I don't think, by Harry Kane, to your point. No. Um, I don't think that's likely. It'd be interesting to see, too, how he, going back to the Jose Mourinho conversation, how he adapts to a Jose system, sure. right? Because when they brought Romelu Lukaku in, It's like, all right, you know, this guy's going to score 100 goals for Manchester United. And then all of a sudden he got out of favor with the manager, sold away. And it's just it's going to be wild to see, you know, these guys who have promising careers still in front of them, like a Deli or like a Harry Kane. And to see, like, how does Jose Mourinho mold them? And then when they go play for the national team, how does that work with their form? And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be. It's it's going to be a lot to keep your eye on. It's as as uh, Bo Bishop likes to say, it's going to be a thing. Going to be a thing. Going to be a thing. Uh, Columbus Crew send away Lalas Abubakar uh, to Colorado. This move had been talked about. If you've not been paying attention, uh, Lalas was lent out by the crew to the Rapids, which is not something you always see in in MLS. You do see it more in Europe, where yeah. guys or in other leagues where you know players are loaned to another team in the same league because they just aren't getting the minutes and the team wants to have them 
eventually blossom into the player they want. He's a young player, so they load him out this year. Well, then the Rapids went on to, with him, uh, actually have not a not a great defense, but he was the best player on their defense. He actually got named their defensive player of the year, stayed with them, started all year, became a you know regular for them. Uh, so they were very happy to have him back. The crew, there were reports, and I, I wanted these reports to be true, but I didn't think they could be. There were reports that they were talking a million-dollar transfer fee Ooh. in MLS Whoa. for a guy that was already basically on their team, that Colorado would pay the crew a million dollars. And I thought in my head, there's no way that'll happen. If for no other reason, then Colorado has to submit that request not to Columbus, to Don Garber in Major League Soccer, yeah. and then Don Garber in Major League Soccer get to say, are you out of your bleeping mind? That's stupid. We're not going to pay that. That's one of the flaws of the MLS system for the players because if a team wants to overspend in other ways, salary or otherwise, they have to run all that through the league. The players sure. are signed through the league. The transfers go through the league. So anyway, point being, I didn't think a million was on the table, but some crew fans were disappointed in that because they got back $400,000 in allocation money. That's fine, right? And a 2020 international spot. Well, I think it's fine because of this. That is, Lawless Abubakar is a good player, but he was a guy that on the crew depth chart at center back was probably at best with everyone healthy last year, fourth or fifth mm. on the depth chart. And some people would even say maybe lower than that. And that's why they loaned him out. They didn't think he was going to get the minutes because they were so loaded. Well, then as it turned out, after they loaned him out, injuries piled up. Everyone got moved around. That defense was just annihilated last year with injuries and they could have used him. But how do you know you're going to have all these injuries to all these star players? Right. Maybe they should have been a little more predictive, at least in a guy like Gaston Saro's case, because he's had injury issues. But still, uh, and then they, they, you know, he transferred out anyway. But the point is, this is ultimately for me, uh, with with Lawless Abubakar, I don't think he had a future with the crew. I think he wanted to be in Colorado, and the team wanted him to be there. So $400,000 for that? I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely you will. And you look at the the crew and this kind of new era that we're heading towards in Columbus and that, you know, I, I feel like the guys, the management in charge, like you want people who are going to be here and you want people that want to be here. And it's the same thing with Darlington Nagby where he, he comes back and he wants to be in Ohio and he wants to do something with the Columbus crew. And, you know, if, if necessarily you don't want to be here and we can get something for you in financial value and we think that we have somebody else who can replace you and is just as good, if not better, then, hey, you know, any sort of TAM or GAM mm-hmm. that we are allowed to get for you, then that's good. And if it's not a million dollars, then that's fine. If it's $400,000, then all right, you know, that's cool too. So I think it's a fine move for the crew. Yeah, I do think that uh, obviously Jonathan Mensa is the rock there at center back. You're going to have him. The guy that I am very curious about with this move is Abubakar Keita, which, number one, having two guys on your team who both share the name yeah. on different parts of their name, Abubakar, is very interesting. But Abubakar Keita, young player who I enjoyed watching last year, he is raw. He plays very well with the ball at his feet, very cool under pressure. Still, I think positionally, tactically, there's a little ways to go there for him. But that that is a big kid, man. That, that dude is like seeing him just running around on the yeah. field against some of the other players when they're warming up, you think, who is that guy? And it turns out, like, you think he's a striker, and then you mm-hmm. say, oh, no, well, he's one of our biggest center backs, of course. Then you find out how young he is, and then you see he's still got a ways to go developmentally. He makes some tremendous passes from the back. I just I think he needs more seasoning, more time. So I wonder if the crew will go out and acquire, like, a veteran center back to kind of pair. You've got Josh Williams, too. I wonder if they'll go out and get a center back bring him in and say, all right, you and, you know, 
Bubakeda are going to fight it out for that second spot. Yeah. And Josh Williams is going to push you too. And all you guys together are kind of going to be fighting for that second center back spot. And then you've got a little cover for injuries if that occurs or international duty. And I think that's kind of the way they go. I don't think they're going to go out if crew fans are thinking they're going to go spend, you know, 800 grand on a center back or transfer some big name. I think it's probably going to be something else. Eric Bailly coming in. Oh, sure. Let's do it. Let's go get him. Let's do it. Uh, But I do think the needs for the crew this offseason, they do need a center back, another one just for depth and or pushing as a starter for the initial part of the year. I think they need a second striker to spell Jossie that is a reliable option mm-hmm. that you can put up top and he can go get you like seven to 10 goals in a season. In addition to hopefully Jossie putting in like 18 to 20. Sure. And then I think you definitely, of course, the biggest need is a number 10. You need someone in the center of the park. Darlington Nagby, I envision them kind of going with like, if anything, like if they're going to let Darlington run a little more of the offense, I could see them going like a four, one, four, one. Sure. Where wheel trap sits behind a diamond midfield or some kind of shape of midfield with four guys in it. Nagby is in front of Will Trap connecting. Will Trap is then basically more distributing mm-hmm. and covering the back, yeah. and he's a almost like a, a sweeper. center defensive mid. Yeah. yeah, he's a true center defensive mid. Yeah. And you 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 put him in that role, and then you have Nagby come up kind of from the back. You have your two wingers, and then you put a like a Pippa type player in at that ten spot up on the top of that diamond, or however again. It, Four one three one one four one. There's all kinds of ways to you know delineate that, but be very curious. Caleb Porter's got, I think, a lot on his plate with how he can divvy this up, and I'm curious to see who they go out. I think they're going to go out in the transfer window and get someone. I think that they go with a nine one lineup. Well, you just put actually a one nine. Sorry, <laughs> one defenseman, nine attackers. Let's go all and offense let's just, all the hey, time. Doesn't matter. They might score eight, but we're going to score ten. Aloy Room says, "Why do you need the one?" Just leave yeah, me back just, here. I'll just be go, fine. Just go 10. <laughs> just 10. What is your formation? It's 10. It's 10. <laughs> 10 what? 10 forwards. Well, for this all is scores. something we haven't seen before in the game. They're lining up in formation. They call 10. <laughs> we can't be offside because we're all standing on the end line. So we're all forward. We're all here. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That's fun. I'm excited to see what happens the rest of the offseason. Now, before we go. We have to talk about this stupid logo. Mm-hmm. Chicago Fire rebranded, which we had heard that they were thinking about doing. There had been leaks about this, and I thought the logo I had seen leaked, I was like, that can't be what they're really doing. Right. Because I saw the, the patent, like the copyright thing, yeah. and I'm like, all right, well, that's stupid. Yeah, it is what they're doing. And the logo itself, if you, I think everyone knows the Chicago Fire logo. It's that, I thought it was a very nice crest. Like, it, it, it resembles a fire department's logo. It's got a nice little you know, symbolism to it. It's, it's cool. I, I, I like, I, I hate the Chicago fire. I love their uniforms. I thought their uniforms were great. Some of the best in MLS and it gives them a lot of opportunities. It's red, white, and blue. That part's a little, you know, cheese ball. But other than that, like I thought it was a really well thought out logo for years and it's a historic logo in MLS. Sure. It came into the league in 98, you know, it's been around for 20 plus years. There's some things I feel like where you just don't need to touch. And, you know, like the old crew logo, I'm like, all right, you know, it could be time to be updated. And they did that. Sure. And now it's great. Sure. And I would be, I, I wouldn't be, I would be upset if they changed it because I don't know if they can do anything better than what they already have. But yeah, the Chicago Fires logo, if you're listening to this podcast right now, it's basically, it's an oval with two red stripes. I told you I was going to. Yes, I was going yes. to describe this okay, in full go ahead. feature. Go ahead. You have Chicago and then Fire FC. Chicago's up at the top. Fire FC's down at the bottom. And the colors on it are like 
purple, red, and yellow. Well, it's the color palette of Real Salt Lake is what I see. Oh, you're right. Real yeah. Sa- it looks like I kind of thought, and the logo itself is what? How many? Tr- six six triangles? triangles. It's like it's like a crown that's facing upwards and then the same crown that's flipped around and flipped down. It's like, actually, that's what it looks like. The more I look at it, the more I'm thinking if the Vancouver Whitecaps logo, which is like mountains, and yeah. it is a, it's like diamond-shaped mm-hmm. mountains, if that logo and the Real Salt Lake logo had sex, this would be. <laughs> and then, and then you said, and then you told a kindergartner to draw that love child. That's what this is. It's. I don't know how it looks. Dude, almost like a, an Olympic logo. Like is what it looks like it, to me. Yeah, like it, a Saatchi. Yeah, it looks like something that you would say. Oh, they're only going to use this for like a year. Right. This is a discardable thing. It's just a temporary. It's not something that I would see being beloved for. 30, 40, 50 years, which mm-hmm. is the goal when you make a logo like this, I would hope. What are they trying to do? Like, are they going to change the logo every five years? If that's the plan, then this is fine. But if you're trying to make something that's lasting, I just, I don't get it, man. And no, I, know, I don't either. I know that there are things in design that designers sometimes design for other designers, mm-hmm. right? Where they say, this is so brilliant. And other designers go, oh, do you see what he did there? It's so simple, but it's so elegant. I've seen plenty of graphic designers and people who are trained in this who do that type of thing. Look at this logo and say, that is ass. That is gross. I don't know right. what they were thinking. So designers hate it. I'm pretty sure all the fans are going to hate it because it's it's just gross and different. There will always be some fans who say, whatever you do, I love. Hey, sure. I love you. Mm-hmm. That's my, That's usually how I am. So And trust me, man, when the crew redid their logo, I went to the logo unveiling, and I was very nervous about it because I thought, man, I don't know what this is going to look like. Sure. I, I, I love the crew's old logo. I saw the new one and said, okay, I like, and they explained why they did what they did and all that stuff. I've read some of the explainer stuff for the Chicago Fire logo. It's it's like, yeah, do you remember the Chicago Fire? Yeah, well, we remember it, but it, it really was a bad bad thing. And it's well, burned out let's, now. Let's, but let's focus on the fire, but we're standing on the ashes of the fire, and we're new, and oh, by the way, now we're FC, because good, we needed another FC yes. in Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. God, it's just so stupid. You're so full of yourself. Still better than that damn tree down in Queso Boys City. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's, dumbest thing ever. That is the dumbest thing ever. Well, you know what, though? And I forgot to bring this up. I don't want to talk about him much, but real quick, Claudio Reyna was the uh, technical director for New York City FC. Mm-hmm. Now he will be in that position with Austin FC. So Claudio Reyna, one of my favorite players to watch with the men's national team. You're dead to me. You're dead. You are. I actually had thoughts at one point. No joke. I didn't go with this. But with my daughters, I thought Reina would be a pretty name for a girl. Yeah. Wouldn't it? And it would be a nice little, like, homage to one of my favorite soccer players. Yep. Glad I didn't make that mistake. Yeah. Because you're dead to me now, Claudio Reina, until you leave that hellhole. So my best friend's dog is named Reina. And when I see her now, I'm just going to be very upset. You're going to be very upset. Well, Yes, but just but still give her like dog biscuits because yes. otherwise Rothman will come over and destroy you. <laughs> You're right. just take exactly. You, he will take you out, and that's it. All right, I didn't even look at the schedule yet for this weekend because we've been so busy. Anything you want to point out that you can think of? If not, that's fine. Don't like, don't feel like you have to pull it up and look at it. Well, I think right. obviously what you're looking at is Tottenham this weekend, right? Because sure, they fair. play West Ham. 
I mean, oh, there you go. The nice little rivalry game there, a little derby game. It's away. They're at the Olympic Stadium this weekend. So I think Tottenham and West Ham, for me, yeah, I'm going to be all eyes on that. Jose Mourinho. But, yeah, it's kind of crazy. we got the Buckeye football team in action. Yeah. They're playing Penn State. My eyes are going to be pretty much glued to that all day. And then Sheffield United and Man United oh, this weekend. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a big match for United coming out of the international break. How yeah. do they, they respond? I'm excited for it. I'm excited to uh... – see the future of what happens at Tottenham. And I'm hoping for the Tottenham fans, as I don't have a team in the Premier League. You know what, Tottenham fans? I'm standing with you. For the next few weeks, biggest Tottenham fan you've ever met. Have fun. Sitting right here. That's all I got to say And about then as that. soon as they suck, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> uh, that's it for us. We'll talk next week. Thanks again for listening to Bone and Beam United.